morning, and those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well as we continue our sermon series called No Outsiders. This is a series that um, actually our senior pastor, Stan, put together. Uh, he saw in our lectionary, which is sort of the selections of readings of scriptures that a, that a lot of denominations will follow every Sunday. And he saw that the, the lectionary readings for these next several weeks kind of had a, a, a recurring theme of God's radical ability to include in the church and, uh, and how that leads us to maybe unexpected places. And so we've been preaching on this uh, series for two weeks now. This is week three, uh, and we're going to be talking about the body of Christ, which maybe is a phrase that you're familiar with. Maybe you're not familiar with it at all, and that is okay. Uh, We try not to assume anything here in Thrive, and so we're just glad that you're with us. If we know that still that first month of the year, if this is your first Sunday back in church in a long time, we just hope that you know that we're so excited that you're here with us. We hope that if nothing else, you experience the love of Christ uh, in the lover's lane fashion, because here. We want to love all people into relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about here at Lover's Lane. So um, to start this sermon this morning, I want to talk about um, conflict. Because I think we live in a world that is rife with conflict. And I know that's not really like a bold statement. That's something that you probably understood before you walked in here. But just let me paint you a picture. Venezuela is on the midst of possibly having a civil war because their now former president Maduro is not seceding power peacefully to the president-elect. A journalist in Ghana was just killed uh, after he had revealed uh, corruption at the highest levels of FIFA, which is the World Soccer, International Soccer Organization. LGBT people in the Russian uh, territory republic of Chechnya are fleeing for their lives uh, because the authorities there are engaged in yet another state-sanctioned genocide of LGBT people. And deadly record high temperatures in southern Australia, we forget that it's summer for half the globe, in southern Australia, record high temperatures uh, that are that are causing fatalities, that's reignited heated debate over climate change and its reality and its effects for our world. That's just this past week. All that news, that was just this past week. That was me spending two minutes on Google pulling four stories and not even mentioning a dozen others that I could have because I think by now we, we get the point, right? We live in a world that is rife with conflict. That's not news, As a preacher and a young preacher at that, you know, one time I got up to preach in the 815 service, the traditional service, and, you know, being an associate pastor is kind of fun sometimes because you get to poke the bear a bit more than maybe you would if you were the senior pastor because, you know, then the senior pastor has to clean up the mess, right? You know? um, and, and so, you know, there are times when I'll preach in tradition, I'll choose to address something that, that maybe is, is, a, is a bit of a, a divisive issue. And one time I was getting up to preach in A15, and, and this woman in the congregation, during the greeting time, she held my hand, she brought me in close, she said, you're not going to talk about anything political today, are you? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> excuse me, my daughter has given me a cough, so this is going to be a fun morning. Uh, at that point, I, I thought to myself, well, I wasn't, but now I really want to, right? You know, because uh, that's just my personality style. Um, but when I hear people say that, and, and it's not just this one person in 815, I mean, I, I hear that a lot in the church right now. You know, do we have to talk about political stuff? Do we have to talk about that in the church? And usually that or the political thing that, that they're talking about is something that, that we see as full of conflict, right? There's a lot of conflict that we could be fighting about in the world today. And, and, and honestly, let's just, let's just be honest this morning, conflict is exhausting, Right? 
conflict is exhausting. I was watching a boxing match the other night. I, I enjoy watching boxing. Maybe preachers shouldn't admit that. But um, I was watching a boxing match the other night, and, and it struck me how these boxers are so exhausted by the end of their bout. And, and what sort of impressed that upon me was, you know, these are grown men who have trained for years or decades, in some cases, uh, for 12 rounds. 12 rounds of three minutes each. That's 36 minutes. And by the end of it, they are exhausted. Fighting is brutal. It wears us out. And I think that sometimes we come to the church kind of like a boxer goes to the corner, and, and we're tired, and we're bruised, and we're exhausted, and we just want to sit and breathe for a second and not have to worry about a jab coming in. And so we can begin to think that the church should be a place where conflict doesn't exist because there's so much of it in the world around us. I just, I don't want that in my church. And I think that leads us to a question that, that we need to wrestle with this morning because as we're inviting all people to be a part of the body of Christ, we have to answer this question, how do we understand conflict in the Christian community? Is the Christian community a place where there should be no conflict? Where we just don't talk about that? Where we just pretend like everything's okay? Is that what the Christian community is supposed to be? The Apostle Paul, again, no assumptions being made. The Apostle Paul was this Christian leader in the early Christian movement who mentored and pastored churches throughout the Mediterranean area. And he wrote a letter um, to a, a church in Corinth. We've been studying this during this series. And, and the Apostle Paul understood that when we bring people together, even when we bring them together in the name of Jesus, conflicts are going to arise. He knew this was a reality of the church. He had seen it in church after church, in city after city. He had been to Rome and Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi, and he knew that conflict was a reality that almost every church was almost always dealing with. And in this first letter to the Corinthians that we've been studying, he offers a way of understanding who we are as a Christian community that then helps us better understand how we handle conflict. See, Paul knew that the conflict wasn't really the thing. It goes deeper than that. It's more about understanding who we are and why we are together. Today, I want us to read his words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app with you, you can feel free to open up to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And these are words that I imagine if you've come to church for any length of time, you've, you've probably heard probably several times before. Um, but I think these are really important words for us to hear again and to understand that Paul is writing these words not to a community that loves each other, but a community that is fighting with each other, fighting so much it's about to threaten the health and the survival of the church in Corinth. That's who these words are being writ to, written to. So um, let's pray before we read our scripture. We do that to invite the Spirit to be a part of this moment so that these words can come alive for us. So let's, let's pray together. Gracious God, we do give you thanks for this day, and we give you thanks for this Christian community. And God, many of us showed up this week exhausted from fighting. Many of us showed up praying that, that, that we could have a moment of peace in church. And God, you offer us peace, and we are thankful for that. But God, could we also hear the words of your servant Paul this morning? Could you make them come alive for us so that we could understand the right and healthy way that churches should navigate conflict so that we could be a body of Christ modeled in your image? 
all of this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to read the scripture. Just so you know, again, if you've never read this before, Paul's going to use this image of a body. And when he talks about the body of Christ, he's talking about the church. He uses this metaphor. So beginning in verse 12, he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would be freaky deaky. No, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, at each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would that body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are, get treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. So in this passage that we just read, I hear Paul speaking to the ancient Corinthian church, but also to the modern Dallas church, and I hear him leading us in a way to better understand how the church should and could be a healing agent in a world rife with conflict. So let's talk about that. I grew up in, in Euless Bedford area, the mid-cities between Dallas and Fort Worth. Any other mid-cities people in the room? I know we've got a former L.D. Bell grad. I went to Trinity. There you are, Michaela. What's that smell? L.D. Bell. Yeah. I got to say that from a pulpit. Yes! Score one for Trinity. Rivalry upholds. So I went to Euless Trinity. And uh, if you don't know anything about Euless or, or Trinity High School, uh, especially when I was in high school there, we were very well known. Euless has always been known uh, for a long time as a place of ultra diversity in really the world. Uh, the high school I went to, Trinity, uh, when I graduated, we were proud to say that we had over 40 languages spoken on campus by students, uh, which was pretty wild. And, and if you went into our administrative building, uh, the hall of flags that had the, the flags for all the countries of origin, it looked like the UN, right? That's the kind of high school I went to. We wore that diversity like a badge of honor, and in many ways, we saw that as kind of our hallmark our point of pride uh, in DFW during sort of the, the tail end of that white flight era. You know, a lot has changed in DFW since then, right? I mean, we, we all live here. We, we know that DFW looks a lot differently than it did maybe 20, 30 years ago. No longer is Euless unique in its diversity. I mean, you go anywhere in DFW, and this is a ultra-diverse corner of the world now. In fact, it seems to be more the rule rather than the exception. 
Now, this past week, I was at my grocery store, uh, my local grocery store in, in Plano, and, uh, and I was going to get some dinner for the week. And I, when I walked in the doors, before I could get to the produce section uh, to pick up my asparagus, I heard at least five different languages being spoken by customers and, and, and by staff. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was really cool. I think diversity is here to stay for us. You know, I think it's cool because it allows me a connection with the city of Corinth. We talked about a couple weeks ago, Corinth it was a lot like DFW. Uh, you know, I know it's hard to sort of place ourselves in these ancient stories, but 2,000 years ago, Corinth was like the DFW of the Mediterranean, right? It was this booming economy, lots of diversity. People were there for jobs. It was this intersection of all these different trade routes, right? And so it brought a lot of different people who spoke a lot of different languages and had a lot of different cultures, and they all called Corinth home. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw this in Corinth not as an obstacle, but as a source of strength. Because Paul saw the church in Corinth as a living testimony to the power of Christ's gospel to reach all people, not just some people. And that was important for Paul because at one point in Paul's life, he was the most prejudiced person you could imagine. Paul was this very narrow-minded leader in the Jewish community who was, had, was full of hatred in his heart. He went so far as to execute Christ followers in the earliest days of the Christian movement. This is who Paul was until he had this radical spiritual experience and he met the power and presence of Christ. And through that experience, his mindset, his perspective, his worldview was changed in a huge way. And his understanding of the world and God's children living within it changed in a huge way. And so when Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, for in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, those are important words for him. He says we were all made to drink of one spirit. I hear Paul definitively saying to Corinth and to Dallas that the church is not a home for prejudice. It is not a home for racism. It is a home for all of God's children, and that home is going to, by definition, be wildly diverse. I'm proud to have come from Trinity High School, and I couldn't help but smile as I walked through my Kroger this past week. Because I believe the same thing as Paul. I think diversity makes us great. Do you? It makes our gospel relevant for a world rife with prejudice. We need to say clearly as a church that any ideology that would put one people above another, that would promote the supremacy of someone simply based upon their race or their skin color, their culture or their country of origin, any worldview that would reduce anybody to anything less than a beloved child of God has no place, is far too narrow for the body of Christ. Embracing Christ means embracing a larger worldview. Now, Stan and I got to experience this this past week. Um, in case you didn't know, uh, Stan and I were able to co-author a book that's for sale in the Spire for $12.99. Um, and uh, it's a book that's like for Methodists by Methodists. Like if, if you've got an uncle that just loves Methodist bureaucracy, that is a great stocking stuffer. Um, so this is a book that we wrote in preparation for this upcoming conference and, and more just as a way to tell the Lover's Lane story. 
um, to tell the story of, of how diversity in an all-inclusive kind of mode of church works at a, at a, at a Jesus-loving church like Lover's Lane. And what we realized going into conference was that about 30% of the delegates who are going to be at this global gathering for Methodists are, are French speakers. And guess what Stan and I don't speak, right? I certainly don't write. It's French. And so we, we asked someone to translate the book for us into French so that we could have it go to an even wider audience in and, and an effort to, again, tell the Lover's Lane story, hopefully be a point of light for the denomination. And, um, and we got the translation back this week. It was really exciting. And, and what, what really struck me, though, what, what impressed me was uh, the title of our book in English is Together, you know, because we're talking about how we can all be together at one table, even though we're very different, kind of like what Paul says. But in French, do you know what the French translation of Together is? I'm going to butcher it. It's ensemble. Or in broken American, it's ensemble. Ah, that's an even better title of the book. Shoot, we missed that, man. That, was, that would have been great. An ensemble. I mean, think about that image of all these different voices, all these different instruments, kind of like what Stan talked about last week. All these gifts and graces coming together to play in harmony and to be circled around the, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Ensemble. That's something I never would have thought about or realized had I not been given the gift of translating our book into French. I am thankful for the people of Africa and for the French language this week, leading me to see uh, our church as even bigger than I thought. Embracing Christ means embracing a body of Christ that may not always speak the same language. My French is terrible, but we all speak the same language of love. Let's put this even more simply it is not the body of Christ's job to look more like you or me. It is our job to look more like Christ. And Christ speaks to people of all ages, races, nations, genders, and abilities. So Paul establishes this, at the time especially, radically inclusive vision for the church. And yet he immediately acknowledges that with this diversity is going to come conflict. Paul knows what we know here at Lover's Lane. Anytime you ask God to send you all people and all people show up, guess what? All people are not the same, right? They're not the same. They're con and conflict is going to show up with all people. And, and so then Paul says, what's our response going to be to this conflict? Because we can't pretend to have a church where we don't talk about that. Because we've got too many people at the table. So recently I was driving home in my neighborhood. And um, so it was a street where, like, there were cars parked on either side so only one car can get through. You know how this happens. And, and occasionally that means, you know, one car has got to let the other car through to get past. And, and so there's these two cars facing each other, um, almost bumper to bumper blocking the traffic, which was just me at this point. And, uh, and so I pull up behind them. I'm like, this is, this is weird. Why are they just sitting there? And, um, and I sit there, I'm trying to be patient, trying to be patient, and I think, well, you know, maybe one of the cars, you know, battery died, and it's just a friendly neighbor, you know, I live in Plano, everyone's super nice, and it's, you know, like Pleasantville up there, you know, and, uh, and, and so I'm thinking maybe they're just being really neighborly, and they're just helping them get a boost, so I'm thinking I'm a Methodist pastor, I should probably be a good Samaritan too, and so I get out of my car, I'm going to go, and yo, hey, you need some jumper cables, or, you know, but as soon as I get out of my car and start walking towards them, the car that's facing me backs out, and all of a sudden the other car pulls through. And I'm going, oh, okay, okay, I know what this was. And I go and get back in my car, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of frustrated. And the, then the car that backed out, he comes through now that the other car's gone. And as he's driving by, an older gentleman, he, he rolls down his window, and he wants to say something to me. So I roll my, roll my window down, too. He goes, 
Sorry, very matter-of-factly, sorry, that guy was being a rear, which I guess was his placeholder term, you know, it's a Plano placeholder. And so I drive away thinking, you know, these two guys were just in this stubborn suburban standoff. They were just going to sit there. I'm assuming this was the most important thing they had to do all day. They could still be here this morning had I not driven up behind them and said, guys, can we, you know, someone be a big boy, please? You know, isn't that crazy? But I thought about that. And I, th- this, I thought about that this week, actually. And I think it's important to remember that in the body of Christ, we are going to encounter rears. <laughs> we are. We are. We are going to encounter rears. Rude people. Mean people. People who frustrate you, annoy you, drive you crazy. And if you're like me, when you encounter a rear in the body of Christ, your immediate reaction is to want to say, Get lost. We want to cut them off, as Paul would would say. But Paul doesn't let us off the hook that easy. Paul doesn't let us off the hook. We can't just throw up our hands and declare that rears are unworthy of the body. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I think Paul is addressing our natural tendency to want to separate from anyone and everyone who makes our life more challenging. So that we can create a body around us that agrees with us, that echoes all of our thoughts and beliefs. Paul is calling us to something greater. He's calling us to think about our community in a more challenging and a more restorative way. When the body of Christ, let me, let me say this, I hear Paul telling us this. When the body of Christ is giving us grief, we want to amputate, but God calls us to heal. When the body of Christ is giving us grief, we want to amputate, but God calls us to heal. The problem with amputating the body of Christ, Paul says, is that no body can simply be eyes or ears or hands or feet. That's a weird-looking body. It doesn't work. The healthiest bodies have all the parts present, and that means that we have to work to live together as a whole body, even with rears included. And we would do well to remember that each of us is somebody else's rear. If you don't think that's true, trust me, it is. You are somebody's rear in the body of Christ. Now here's the deal, church. We need all gifts in the church. We need all gifts. We need evangelists and teachers and accountants and greeters and missionaries and pastors and worship leaders and, yes, even lawyers. And the church needs people of all persuasions. We need conservatives, we need liberals, we need traditionalists, we need progressives, we need centrists, we need the level-headed, we need the hot-headed. We need people who lead with their hearts and people that lead with their heads. And here's the hardest part of all. This is the part that you don't want me to say. The body of Christ is not here for the perfect and the whole. We are here for the broken and the lost. And you might say amen, but let me tell you what that looks like. That means that we are here for the hateful. We are here for the selfish We are here for the racist. We are here for the addicted. We are here for the sinful. And if you didn't hear your name in that list, I want to list it again because all of us are there. We are here for the hateful and the selfish and the racist and the addicted and the sinful. Church, we cannot proclaim the power of repentance, the power of turning from sin and walking towards God. We can't proclaim that power and cut off the very people in need of repentance. We cannot forget 
that every single one of us is in need of repentance every single day. Church, let's go back to some old-time religion. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Do I need to say it again? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So maybe this past week you saw something in the news and you thought, man, sure would be a better world without them. You can say that as a political pundit. You cannot say that as a Christ follower. Because the person you just looked at is a child of God. I don't care if they're being hateful or selfish or racist or addicted or sinful. Guess what? God died for them too. I'm getting worked up. All of us play the role of the rear. And the rear is part of the body of Christ. And we can't simply cut it off. As we work to promote a more inclusive And healthy body of Christ, though, as we work to preserve this whole healthy body of Christ, what is that going to require of us? Because that is hard work. It's a lot easier to make cuts. So when I come to the end of Paul's words for us today, I'm, I'm struck by his vision for a body that seems beautifully in sync with itself. Did you hear these words earlier when it says, when one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. You know, as much as things change over time, a lot of things stay the same. And I think Paul is talking about something that is the exact same as it was 2,000 years ago. And that's this. Paul's addressing something in our culture that the Corinthians struggled with too, and that's self-centeredness. You know, we like to tease and make fun of teenagers that are stuck in their phones and in their own worlds. Guess what? Paul saw it in the first century too. Things tend to stay the same. We can get so wrapped up in our own personal lives that we forget there's a whole wide world out of our, outside of our own existence. You ever guilty of that too, like me? And Paul's quick to remind us that there's something that's true about bodies that's also true about communities. It's this, the healthiest bodies listen well. Strongest, healthiest bodies listen really well. Notice that Paul doesn't say, if one member suffers, the body reminds it that others are probably suffering more. Paul doesn't say, if one member is honored, the rest of the body passive-aggressively expresses their jealousy. When we're part of a Christian community, we place upon the altar, we sacrifice the individualistic life that the world has to offer us. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice, whether or not we understand it. Their reason for mourning or their reason for rejoicing should be enough for us. As much as self-centeredness, though, seems to be an eternal struggle for God's people, there's this more recent trend that I'm seeing that also threatens our ability to listen well in the way of Paul. Have you guys ever met a one-upper? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You ever met a one-upper? Maybe you're a one-upper. Don't point at your neighbor if your neighbor is a one-upper. One-upper is a person that listens to people talk only so that they can they say something that's a little bit bigger than what they just said, right? So you tell a story about your trip down to Galveston, and then they follow you up with their trip to Brazil, you know? Oh, thanks, cool. Yeah, Galveston, Brazil, totally the same thing, you know? Or you talk about how you just had a fever of 101 last week, and they're like, well, I had a fever of 102, you know? I guess we're comparing sicknesses now. That's neat. Um, you guys understand what I'm saying. So I see this trend, though, that's, that, that's kind of funny, but it's not so funny because I see this trend of one-upping each other's pain. Have you all seen this on social media or in, even just in your own relationships? 
When someone tries to say that they're hurting or they're feeling pained, other voices will say to them, well, you know, that's too bad, but I'm hurting too, you know. Or, or you know, that, that sounds like you might be in pain, but that's really nothing compared to X, Y, Z. And I was talking to someone recently who had something I thought was profound to say about this. They said that when someone is telling us that they're in pain, if we in turn one-up them to talk about our own pains and our own frustrations, it's like visiting someone in the hospital only to then tell them how you've been feeling sick recently. It doesn't make any sense. You're not there because of your pain. You're there for their pain. Now, as hard as it can be, healthy bodies listen to each other, especially their pains. They don't one-up each other. They're able to sit and to listen, even when the pain doesn't make sense. And on, on the subject of not making sense, can an ear really understand a stubbed toe? Or could your knee understand a toothache? It's important to sit and listen, even when the pain doesn't make sense. When the Christian community is able to listen well, we offer a powerful witness to a culture of one-upsmanship. Hear me now, church. If we can listen well, that silence, that listening becomes a deafening roar in a culture dominated by the loudest voices. At Lover's Lane, I pray that we could be a church like Paul dreamed of for the Corinthians that we can continue to celebrate a diversity that includes all of God's people, that we can remember the body of Christ has a rear and sometimes all of us play the role, that we can commit ourselves not to cut each other off when we don't agree or when we don't like each other, but instead humbly ask God to lead us in those healing efforts, that we could be a home for the lost and the broken and the mean and the hard-hearted so that sinners like you and me could come to know Christ. But mostly, I just pray that we could listen well. While we might not always understand the pain or the rejoicing, we could be so in love with this body of Christ that their reality becomes our own. I am yours and you are mine and together we are each other's. This is life in the body of Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks that your body, this Christian community that you established, is not simply another venue for conflict and fighting, but is a place for healing. difficult things are discussed where hard choices are made the choice to heal and not to cut off the choice to hold each other tight when we might rather let go God this morning is we remember who we're called to be as the body of Christ remind us that ultimately your son Jesus said we're not here for the healthy we're here for the sick including us soften our hearts God heal our hatred send us from this place in the one spirit of your love 
that we might be a healing balm for a world rife with conflict. Lead us, God. Lead us humbly in your will. In your sons that we pray. Amen.